Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game is About Glory, our first one of 2023. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me tonight are Milo and Ricky. Hello, chaps. Um, I hope, other than today's game against Villa, the, the holidays have been good for you. Uh, yeah, happy new year, Steph. Yeah. Happy new year, all our Tottenham fans. Let's get off to a flyer. <laughs> Hello, yeah, happy new year. Um, In- no, the football's been shit, hasn't it? <laughs> it's not it's not been great um and and i have to just warn our listeners that our usual high production values which erase all the uh, squeaks ooze ahs bumps and what those what uh will that's it's not going to be the case this week we're going to try and make this a live podcast so you will hear warts and all uh, both on and off the pitch actually i suppose it's fair to say um look it's been no secret that we kept the games about glories home fires burning uh by landing you with a couple of pre-recorded specials uh, so as you could grab that holiday breather and enjoy that wonderful time between Christmas and New Year without the sort of cyclic Spurs conversations which Chaps sadly commenced with the resumption of the 2023-2022-23 season, flub number one there, on Boxing Day at Brentford. Uh, that's a game we are going to be taking a look back at a little later, that 2-2 draw. Um, but first, we will be fixing our immediate match spotlight in just a few minutes on the first game of 2023 earlier today at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium against Aston Villa that ended in a 2-0 defeat, which threw up plenty of discussion points. Um, I said in a few minutes, the truth is it would probably be a little longer than that. Uh, But anyway, before all of it, we're going to start with the week. I suppose it's the week that was, but perhaps, chaps, it's the few weeks that were. As um, let's all come together here if we can. This was and is our first recording since the World Cup final. So congratulations to QD, right, chaps? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well done, mate. A World Cup winner with Argentina. Many, many congratulations to him. And uh, this is a line that we wrote into the script before today's game. Our much maligned defence now contains two World Cup winners. Uh (laughs) We can talk about that later. Um, And then uh, we'd written in, had we not, Milo, bring that form with you, please, cutie. Ah, well, chaps. Enough. We'll get to it later. But how about a quick 30 second reflection on the final itself? That that fantastic final between uh, Argentina and France. Yep. Fantastic. Um, One of the best finals ever, do you think? I think it definitely was the way it turned out. And obviously everyone or most people got the result they wanted. Seeing Messi complete his career in, well, not complete his career. He's still going to crack on, isn't he? But, um, you know, climbing that mountain with Argentina, he's always wanted to climb. And it's um, a beautiful contrast to... um, Romaldo, uh, Romaldo, <laughs> Ronaldo's um, shirt holding 500 grand a day contract that he's got somewhere out in the that's right, yeah, Middle East, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. You said so, you enjoy it. I thought it was one of the most boring finals I'd seen until the 70th minute when it exploded into life, um, thanks to one man, uh, Kylian Mbappe. What I thought was sensational. You should be used to games that are boring for 70 minutes and then spring to life you know. yeah but the bit the bit we're missing there is that we don't have a killing Mbappe to suddenly engage re-engage the love but uh but yes point well made but uh, I, th- I thought Mbappe was sensational and by the way um uh, I was glad to see that Aston Villa uh, either dropped or didn't play Emmy Martinez today because what an absolute buffoon I mean how to how to under, undermine your own country's fantastic win. Uh, his behaviour towards uh, Mbappe has been uh, nothing short of a disgrace, in my opinion. But anyway, well done, cutie. Another World Cup winner at the lane. Uh, and also, we had another South American winner at this year's tournament, with Richarlison's bicycle kick against Serbia being voted the goal of the tournament. Uh, have, we, have we talked about this yet before? 
We haven't. I think you may have touched on it, Steph, yes. Maybe. Uh, yeah, we, we have, of course. And it also gives us an excuse to play this again. Hang on. I'm not sure I can. <laughs> I'm not sure I have. <laughs> We're going no. live, as I, as we said, no. and it looks like technology is, uh, no, is going to get gone. the better it's of us. It, it, it's disappeared, but I can do it if you want. Richarlison, goal! Richarlison! Is that possible? Just about. Did he deserve I don't know it? That he, can't, he can't cut it this week because we're going. <laughs> so you know, let, let's give the let's give our royal listenership a little break from my dulcet tones, shall we, Milo? Would you read this next uh, bit of the of the weeks that were the, the week that has just been here? Uh, legendary Spurs keeper Pat Jennings has been awarded a CBE in the UK, UK's New Year's Honours list for services to football and charity. I mean, what can we say about Pat that hasn't been said already? Lovely man. Yes. Yeah. Lovely Absolutely. hair. <laughs> incredible, his so, hair, doesn't it? It, it, is it incredible. never moved. It no. never moved. It was like a f- as formidable a helmet uh, as his hands were formidable in their own right, if you know what I mean, that sort of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Is he the only don't. Tottenham Arsenal sort of you know trans uh, transfer that both clubs love Just, yeah, and that neither holds against the other do you know what i mean is he the, is he the only player that's made that journey that nobody dislikes on either side of the fence he's got to be right i think he's got to be close to it can't think of anyone yeah. else yeah no one i mean maybe is it's another reflection of the man he is no one's got a bad word to say about him really no 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 and, and i mean it's over 600 appearances if i'm not incorrect i do not have my stats in front of me and at this point i'm sure gareth is listening shaking his fist at the broadcast and and, and just you know saying you, you fools this is the sort I mean, of statistic we should instantly have but it's it's got it's over 600 appearances I mean, at least i think 657 is a figure that sticks in my mind if yeah. anyone wants to correct that please feel free i mean to, um, to cement his legendary status is he are we the only club he does the ambassador stuff for Yes, I think so. Oh, so he's, he's he's seen the light in the end, you know, right side of North London. So that's good to know. And can I just say one more thing about Pat? Pat and uh, Sorry, I, I know Milo is trying to butt in, but I'm sort of taking advantage of this brief moment here. I love Pat's voice. It just sounds, so, it's the deepest, warmest, just, just what a tone. What a tone. It reminds me of that uh, chap in the Father Ted Christmas special who says, would you please take your portresses to the front? It's got that kind of deep timbre to it. But Milo, please say something sensible. I was just going to move us on to Decky getting Swedish Player of the Year. And a wonderful move, indeed. He's won the, apologies for pronunciation here, Golden Bollen, uh, or the Swedish Male Player of the Year Award, basically the Ballon d'Or of Swedish football. So good for him. There were some nice quotes from him in here, but I cut them out for time and then didn't realise that we'd spend five minutes talking about uh, (laughs) Pat Jennings. Big Pat. <laughs> I like that. I, I'm going to hazard a guess that the Guldbollen is the golden ball I in Swedish. Is. There you go. Who didn't say that we don't? You know, we should. Simon is now shaking. Simon his, and I. Yeah. Sh- Simon is shaking his fist at the broadcast saying, you absolute Luddites. How could you even <laughs> question that it is anything other than? Um, so, look, we also got sad news just after Christmas. I think it was news that maybe those of us who follow the game regularly will have seen coming for a couple of weeks. Pele uh, finally passed. Um, He'd been in hospital receiving treatment for cancer for a while and Brazilian players and fans have been paying tribute to him throughout the World Cup. Um, He's widely regarded as the greatest footballer the game has ever seen and he remains the only player to have ever won uh, the World Cup three times which is uh, just, you know, an incredible feat. And his impact on the game is absolutely 
inarguable. It's beyond debate, isn't it, chaps? He was an inspiration to countless kids and adults. And, you know, he's in that elite group of greatest sports people of the 20th century. And I, I have to say, my friend Gary Lord put it really well. He said, you know, Elvis, <laughs> you know, uh, Pele. He said, even Jesus needed a second name. So <laughs> and Ali, he, he threw Ali in there as well, which I thought was really well put. But chaps, maybe a quick reflection. Oh, 100%. I mean, when you're a kid and you're in awe of people who are like that, especially at our age, at all our ages, really, he was the, the one legend that just seemed to transcend the game as being the greatest footballer. And I don't think people really contested it either. And, you know, media was different then. You, you didn't get to see people so much and you couldn't analyse things as much. But the people that did see those games and visit those tournaments just would wax lyrical about him all the time. And I suppose it took almost all the way till Maradona turned up for anyone mm. to really kind of challenge that. And I'd like to say as well, I like some of the stuff I've seen on the internet, how they seem to be really close and good friends when, you know, it's that's Argentina v Brazil. I mean, and, and obviously Maradona's a bit of a kind of madman, but they both know that they were exceptional footballers and loved the game to bits. So that was nice to see as well. Yeah, I think it was um, kind of particularly poignant. Maybe, you know, you mentioned earlier on about Messi finally winning the World Cup this year and um you know obviously you know kind of sealing his claim to greatness but um yeah that kind of just brought it home a bit more i suppose i mean the remarkable thing with pele's I mean, obviously I'm never lucky enough to see him play but you know kind of the, how young he was when he broke through and then how long he was he was playing for um yeah. just remarkable i mean it was interesting they asked i mean you brought up messi i think it's an interesting little tangent uh sir alex ferguson was asked i think after barcelona beat man united you know 15 years ago in the champions league final at wembley 3-1 you know does lionel messi deserve to be in the same category as pele maradona and he said look he said you 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 evaluate a player of that stature on whether they could play in any era and and still be as brilliant as they were and he said in my opinion Messi does fit that and you would undoubtedly argue that Pele is exactly that as well and you know the other thing with Pele well many things but one of the other things that can never be overstressed is that much like Muhammad Ali opened up so much um to the world in terms of boxing and 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 also in terms of uh, black superstardom as well I mean Pele did the same he did the same for for, for football as a sport and also for black athletes in uh, you know in black footballers yeah. i mean it was a it was dual track and actually neymar made that point which i thought was really good um so you know i just want to finish with this little stat i think i think i put it in our whatsapp group actually it's just an incredible set of stats about pele and it just you realize how much we all took it for granted you know and i mean i certainly did um you know what a f incredible um athlete he was you know the new york times put in 1975 they said that pele's heartbeat uh, at 56 to 58 times a minute in training, in training, I mean, I think if mine beats that much when I'm asleep, I'm lucky. Uh, the heart of an average athlete in training beats at 90 to 95 times a minute. His peripheral vision was 30% greater than that of the average athlete. And Pele could run 100 meters in 11 seconds and jump almost six feet high. Um, now, as much as I'd like to tell you that I can replicate those feats on a Tuesday, uh, you know, in my game. I mean, seriously, think about those. Uh, think about that. And then you add the talent. And a final word, you were mentioning Maradona and Pele being so close. These guys came from nothing. I mean, they had nothing and they made everything. So, yeah. Wow. Just, just, one, 
just one yeah, final no, thing. Very there's, there's a video out there of Pele doing, of modern players doing certain moves, certain tricks, certain goals, and intertwined with that is Pele doing exactly the same things as that. And people were saying, you know, who's the original goat? Who's the original? And it's just it's a mind blowing video because you just think, wow, this is from the 60s and the 70s, and he's he's doing all those tricks kind of first, really amazing athlete, as you say, Steph. Yeah, there's that brilliant dummy that he does as well in in this yeah. in 1970. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, I mean, he deserved the goal, but it was just astounding. Anyway, um, yeah. we're having fun talking about a, a, a great footballer and, and a great man. So uh, it's only fitting that we now move on then to the transfer window. <laughs> that should knock the fun out of us, shouldn't it, chaps? Yeah. <laughs> And by the way, once again, um, you know, we, we wish Pele's family all the best. I think like everyone. So, and it was nice to see the tributes today to him. Very good. Sorry, I just realised I'm trying to I'm trying to postpone getting into the transfer window discussion. That's what I'm doing. But enough, it's open. It says we will be discussing the biggest rumours every week through the window. Will this window prove to be something specials and the dawning of a new era, or a relative case of do nothing? By the way, if you didn't get that pun, we also lost Terry Hall of the specials uh, this Christmas, and I know that the game is about glory. Uh, was was pretty upset about it, like many people. So that's both a tribute, and it's also actually a serious question. Um, from reading some of the aggregator accounts on Twitter, you could be forgiven for thinking that the lunatics have taken over the asylum. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, uh, the loudest rumour at the moment seems to be our interest in sporting Lisbon right back Pedro Porro, which has been rumbling along for a few weeks now. Porro has a release clause of 45 million. This week's sporting manager Ruben Amarim said, I was told he can only leave if the clause is triggered. We know there's clubs who can pay it, but until that happens, he is safe. Milo, do you want to take this next paragraph? Oh, I thought that was perfect for you, actually. But other players we've been linked I can with do, this oh, week. I'll do it. No, no. I can do it if you want. <laughs> Go, Go on. on I, oh, sorry. I saw it. Saw the... <laughs> Yes. Uh, okay. Drum roll as I try and go through these names. Um, other players that we've been linked with this last week are, deep breath, Frank Kessie, Marlo Gusto, Vanderson, Ismail Assar. I don't know why I put an issue on that. He's not Dutch, is he? <laughs> Ismail Assar, Harvey Barnes, Ruslan Malinowski, Tete, Denzel Dumfries, Wilfred Zaha, Weston McKenney, and Martin Terrier. Other than that McLaren-esque Ismail Assar, I think I did quite well there. Um, and finally, reports in Brazil say that Lucas Moura is in talks over a move back to his boyhood club, Sao Paulo. Right. I mean, where do we start this conversation? Because it's definitely taken on a different accent in, in light of the restart of the season. Um, I suppose we should start with uh, what would your priority be for the window? Um, and, and should Conte be back? They almost seem like they're the same. They, they, they work off each other. Uh, who wants to wrestle this beast? Milo, go first. Go on, I'll, I'll dive in. So I think uh, let's answer this on a con continuity basis. So Conte staying around and it's going to be around for the foreseeable in, in answering this because I think you know he's got very specific uh, demands uh, from his squads. So the thing that we keep coming back to on on this pod throughout the first half of this season has been the weakness or the lack of depth on the right hand side. Um, you know we're we're we don't have a right wing back who particularly suits what Conte wants. Um, our understudies for Romero, none of none of them are particularly comfortable on the ball. And when Decky's out, we've looked short of ideas, as you know, as we'll go on to talk to. So my priority would be strengthening the right hand side, the first choice right wing back, and uh, suitable cover for uh, right wing forward and and right centre central defender, and preferably a right central defender who could um, could also cover uh, in central defence or also play there. So yeah, dream window that, and then you know someone who could play six or eight 
you know, if it, if you know, all of our Christmases really were coming at once, I suppose. Yeah, not much more than that. I think I agree with the right wing back, the right centre back. Hopefully, if we can find one that can probably play centre centre back as well, and then the cover for Decky, and I presume that then means, I mean, in an ideal world, Jaff or Sanchez would go, or Jaff yeah. and Sanchez would go, Emerson or Doherty, and then if we have, if we've got the numbers, he'll start going alone. And I presume, well, I don't think we're going to get rid of Mora, but I think he's just kind of winding down to leaving in the summer anyway. So I think he's in his last year, isn't he? So yeah, yeah that would put... be that'd be the priorities really, and that's without carrying on in mind what might happen in the summer when a whole shed load of players then come back to us that we have yeah, to think about. I suppose. I suppose we don't know the details of um, Lucas's discussions with Sao Paulo. If it is for a transfer soonish, then. You're going to need two forwards coming in if if Hill is going out on loan. Um, we couldn't. And I know Mora's barely been fit this season, but you only have to look at the bench today to see how threadbare we are with a handful of injuries up front. And um, yeah, that and then that starts feeling of like a bit of a, a tall order for a January window, which is always very difficult yeah. to bring players in. Yeah, I mean, I, I I agree with everything you said about strengthening. I'm just going to add to it. I, I, I even if our forwards are fit, we need one more. I mean, for me, absolutely. We we need to be able to rotate forwards who are being overused and, and somewhat out of form. We'll get into that a little later. Um, you know, let me repeat the, the second part of that of that question, which is, you know, should Conte be backed? I mean, it's a, it's it's not a simple question, is it? Is it, Marlo? It's not at all. The question I ducked, you mean. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the elephant in the room, isn't it? It's, um, I think Conte has made this harder with some of his comments recently I think he's slightly overplayed his hand um I mean they're comments that we've heard from him before he's done it every single window where he brings up his future and you know that the um the weaknesses in the squad I don't think anyone would argue with his assessment of of where the squad is weak or or where we're at um but he does have very very specific requirements and if he's calling into question you know if he's not committed to the club it's harder to spend that money when potentially you could have another manager coming in at some point uh, who might not want the players that Conte wants and I'm not quite sure where that leaves us uh, I mean I'd first say that um, I, I think backed's a horrible word I hate the word backed because it's very binary in other words you're either doing that or you're not doing that and I think congratulations a lot of... for the first binary of the new, of the new uh, 2023 fantastic oh. well done sir <laughs> <laughs> But because there's very there's so many attributes and you know branch branches and alleyways and any other kind of way I could call it to sort of talk about. But I think the first starting place is is that I think everyone knows what's been said, as in even behind closed doors. And I think the other thing just to say, first of all, is if any promises have been broken, then that's not happened because Conte just hundred percent wouldn't be here if any promises have been broken. That's my opening bit. I've got plenty of other things to say probably, but go on. Oh. For the sake of trying to keep this pod moving on in a live fashion and not force Milo to the edit, I'm going to work with a metaphor. As you both know, and as regular listeners know, these metaphors can be clunky. But try and go with me because it's springing in my head as I'm speaking it. Let's imagine that Daniel is uh, has managed to attract Sophia Loren in her prime uh, to be his partner. That's and quite the has picture. done so. What's that? Have you been at the um, the AI uh, writing tool for this as well? You can be the judge of that in about a minute. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and maybe he said to Sophia, "Look, 
it's a little 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 rough around the edges. I'm afraid that I can only bring you to dinner at Nando's for, for the next short while. But, you know, trust me, if the film roles that you're getting pay off and we manage to, you know, I managed to make a couple of good deals and whatever, you know, soon we'll be able to go and dine, uh, you know, a couple of good Michelin star ret- restaurants and there will be no more Nando's. It'll be OK. Maybe the odd stop on a Friday night if we're stuck. But generally speaking, we're going to bump it up a bit. Uh, and and maybe with that's what's going on here. Maybe Sophia's finding out that her paramour is actually still convinced that he can get away with Nando's. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Prob- and, and maybe that, Sophia prob- has told him, "Hey, I love Nando's. That'd be great and fantastic." And maybe she's like uh, not being flexible either. Maybe these are two very inflexible people. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's. Conte is serving up fried pigeon, isn't he? Not fried chicken. It's um... <laughs> Huey Levy. He's serving up fried. Right? No, no, no. It's oh, uh, oh okay. I, I, th- I think Conte has been given some fine ingredients, but he's not doing. A, or certainly was in the summer, but isn't doing oh, a lot with them. I see. Um, can I? Go on. I think we can talk about Conte, but just on the Levy point at the moment, because I don't hundred percent agree with Steph here. I yeah, just yeah. think that we've had reasons to gripe about Levy, but obviously he had his own kind of pathway he wanted to take. But in recent times, when we used to moan about these things, about holding on to players for too long, mm. he started to pay off players to get rid of them. True? Aurier? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's happy to let players go for nothing. Delhi and probably Winks and Moore will come on. He's employed a director of football to run the football side of the club. Mm-hmm. All wanted that, didn't we? And let him get on with it. And also he's injected capital of 150 million to the club, which is almost unthinkable and you would think well, that people that wanted well, Enoch out would think you know that's never going to happen and these are observations and just you know they're observations basically based on things that have actually happened so what I'm saying is is we can think that Levy's not going to change and to be honest I think it's a bit disingenuous to say that Levy's not changed because I think the financial footing and the foundation of the club's change that's a, the financial footing and the foundation of the club's change that's allowed Levy to change I think to think that Levy changing is a bit dodgy almost is a close cousin to the tropes that get thrown at him. So I think you have to be careful there. And he has changed. I mean, the actions of the club have changed in that point. So it then leads me to think, what are the other things you want layered on now beyond more money for him to do? So if I can just step away from my uh, somewhat uh, absurd metaphor. Uh, no, I like your metaphors. Never, never give up on them. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you very much. I'll get there one day. And I'm sure it, I, I don't even know if an AI bot would have come up with that. But uh, maybe at some point in the future, listeners will hear us type that into an AI. Daniel Levy, Sophia Loren, and we'll see what happens. Um, but seriously, I, I think, first of all, and look, we shouldn't go down this road too far. I understand. I, I, look, I think you've made some, some excellent points. I would say that we probably need a little more information as to exactly where and what that hundred. 50 million was all about it hasn't all been used in the end that's a fact uh so it hasn't as of now been spent all been spent um and i would agree i mean he has absolutely he's a very very when, when he reacts to a situation he reacts but what we have to wonder is in the end whether it all returns to type and that's what i wonder if we're seeing right now but, because we but, do have this situation where we've got a director of football who needs support we've got a manager who needs support and the signings don't quite seem to align with what the manager needs and and i'll, I'll hand the floor back before i get into a long-winded sort of ramble but is <laughs> so it, someone take that on but is it but does it then just fall into because I think he just basically sets the budget and Paratici then has the autonomy to do whatever he wants with that. In other words, we could buy yeah. a more expensive player, but then we wouldn't have many much money to spend on other players. So obviously you've got a lot of set limit. But do we then 
I don't want to say this, but Go do on. we then fall into to to dare is too dear? Is that where we end up? And, and I love I, that phrase. To dare is too dear. <laughs> no, no, no! Don't don't love that phrase, please, Steph. Because you, you're, you're going to end up. Quite, but it is quite no. funny. I've never heard. I'm, yeah, but you're I'm, going I must to end, be ignorant. My head's in the you, sand. Is this around or no? No, we're going, to see, we're going to see you walking off towards the black railings opposite the um, club shop next time you're at the lane. If you oh. if you if you pull into that too much, for <laughs> a little banner on the wall. But please it's good don't Caribbean go there, food stand over there. Actually, there is actually no. So you're right. You're not wrong. I will be wandering over there soon. The smell brings you into there, doesn't it? It's good. Yeah, delicious. You're right. Yeah, top marks to them. I mean, I think I, th- I I agree with Ricky. I think you know, if there's an issue here, you, you you'd have to question whether uh, Peratici and Conte were on the same page necessarily, or whether Conte is just digging his heels in and and being difficult. Um, yeah, I, I thought. I think most of us thought at the end of the summer transfer window, you know, maybe with a question mark over Spence, but the rest of the business looked pretty solid and and gave us depth that we hadn't had previously, and. Um, you know, I think we've got to be fair and say that at the moment we've got, you know, we've been a little unlucky with injuries and we're, we're you know, we're missing some key players today that, that would have made a difference. Um, but, you know, I don't think Conte's made best use of what he had, even if it wasn't, um, you know, let's be, let's be charitable and say, you know, maybe it wasn't exactly what he wanted, although he didn't criticise, you know, any of those players other than Spencer in, in the summer and seemed quite happy with the business. And, you know, again, in terms of strategy, you know, if you look at Richarlison, you know, we went out and spent £70 million on a 25, 26-year-old player. That's not the kind of business we would have done previously. And, um, you know, that's that's a considerable amount of money. I mean, I will will say just on the Paratici thing quickly, and then you can have a shout set, is that I do feel he might be... I mean, obviously, he's been given a remit, and I think in the early stage of it, he's definitely been pulled in sort of two directions somehow, because I think the club Mm. definitely want to do the Moneyball thing. I think that definitely wants to go on. And I think... Conte's even all, all right with that, as long as it doesn't affect what he can have. You see what I mean? And maybe... No, I, got- I think that is absolutely the problem. I think it's a massive problem. And I feel sorry for Paratici. Uh, and by the way, I, I've forgotten whether it was uh, you or Milo that brought up. Um, I think it might have been you who said, you know, we have to remember that he's also probably dealing with some fallout from what's going on with this, you know, the legal case in, uh, at Juventus. Yeah, so, true. no, I think it's a massive, I think it's a massive problem. Yeah, huge. Um, but... Yeah, go on. Move on to Conte. Conte. Uh, yeah, well, I, let me let me maybe redefine that question so it's a little clearer. I mean, let's assume that. Uh, well, first of all, do we know what backing Antonio Conte means? Uh, and if we do, do we think he should be backed? Why don't we each take a crack at saying what we think backing Antonio Conte means, uh, and then uh, then we can speculate as to whether he should what, be backed. Maybe that's what in our personal view or what we think Conte thinks it means. What we believe Conte thinks it means. <sighs> Well, I mean, the thing I was going to say about Conte is obviously other thing, you know, observations I get from this is that if it appears to me, and I don't want it to boil down to this, but it appears to me he's almost saying, I want a 40, 50 million pound player dropped into every position and then I'll make it work. You know what I mean? And I just think some people at the club might think, but I'm paying you 12, 15 million quid a year. And I could probably pay someone else a lot less and still get that to work, especially if you're looking about how the way it's working at the moment and the way it's going on. And I just think he, um, I think it's almost like, I always quite like teams and they're a lot more kind of, you know, you have a lot more admiration for them when they're greater than the sum of their parts. Mm-hmm. And I think that Conti's teams look like they're the sum of their individual players and not, you know, greater than the sum of their parts. And it makes me wonder what 
he brings to the table beyond beyond what he thinks his plan is. And the other problem I've got with his plan is, is that it's so much about the automations. It's so much about his way. It's so ingrained. It's so precise, so concise. And I think, as we said before, players aren't given autonomy or they're not given, I think you said before, Milo, like freelancing, mm-hmm. that if your plan's so rigid, it better bloody work because you're going to take the blame for it if it doesn't. You know what I mean? And I think he's scared of failing because he does care about what people think about him. And I think that is actually a weakness when you worry too much about what people think about you. And I think that's quite... And I've joked in the chat that that even gets reflected in getting your hair done. <laughs> I know that sounds a bit like stupid, but it does. He's worried about what people think about him. And he's a born winner. And I think the thing he might be struggling with is just the competitiveness, competitiveness of this league. To get this league won is a massive mountain to climb. And, and you've got to bear in mind, is that, you know, since he came in, you've got Newcastle getting bought, you know, bought out, and yeah. you know, uh, you know, them spending maybe not mega money yet, but still, you know, a lot more than they would have previously, and um, them kind of overperforming over that first year. So you know, a competitive league's got even more competitive. And you look at the table at the moment and, you know, I mean, one and two in the league look, look nailed on at the moment. You know, you could, which order that ends up in, who knows, that's that's for another discussion. Um, but, you know, three down to what, six in the league, you know, that you could throw a hat over them, couldn't you? There's, there's, it's so difficult there and um, you've got a lot of teams competing for, um, you know, for two, two spots. Okay, chaps, I'm going to go one more time with the, with, with the question. Another... <laughs> Another metaphor for you, we, when we took on Antonio Conte, we took on a Michelin star chef who was known for making the best souffles you could possibly find. We've given him a refrigerator that doesn't quite have the top ingredients to make a Michelin star standard souffle. Um, and if we want to buy the ingredients for it, it's going to cost a lot. However, we can make some world-class omelets. So do we back him to be able to change his game, so to speak, the one that's got into a Michelin star position and, and become an omelette chef as well? Or do we just say, you know, we may have actually got this a little wrong in the judgment call? Um, do we back him? I mean, I think, I think we've answered that. But I mean, I think in terms of kind of Conte, I think Conte has always been quite open about this being something that he thought was going to need several windows. So, you know, even in the summer, he was saying, you know, it's going to need, you know, you know another two three windows in order to to complete this and to have the team you know that he thinks can compete and in terms of what he said about the kind of the club's um strategy or the club's approach to transfers i'd be amazed if that came as a surprise to anyone i think you know in terms of you know what a tottenham signing looks like i think we all know that don't we i think we know that you know predominantly we're looking at players um with a resale value ideally that we can you know can develop and sell on later on and then, you know, with Conte there, I think, you know, we're kind of augmenting that with, um, you know, players like Perisic or, you know, older, more experienced players to, to kind of complement that and help that through. Uh, Conte has appeared to be on, on board with that previously. Um, and I've got to be honest with you, I don't really disagree with that as a strategy. I don't, you know, we're not in a position where we can go out and, and um, you know, spend a fortune and have, a, you, know, you know, 20 players on, you know, 200k a week. We're not in that position. So, you know, I don't, I don't really have a problem with that. Um, but I think there's probably a question about whether, um, I mean, this goes back to something that you talk about, Ricky, a lot about kind of that synergy between the manager and the owners of the club and the fans and, and the players and all of that coming together. And I think there is a question as to whether Conte is the right fit for Spurs and, you know, the right fit for a club run by Enoch and, and all of that. And, um, you know, I don't know. And, 
I don't know. I, 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 is there an issue between Paratici and Conte? I don't think so, but it's difficult to say, isn't it? We haven't seen Paratici speak for a while, and um, I don't know. I mean, I think. I mean, I mean, you added another one that we're now prepared to do, which is to buy older players and play them. You know, even if they're free transfers, but give them like big money contracts. We're not, mm. we're not too fussed about that, and we wouldn't do that before. But I just think mainly well, we we're. Bought, we're we, I'm sorry, we did buy Fernando Lorente. I mean, I, I know the point you're trying to make, but we, we have done it before. But I, I know the point I, you're making. I think Perisic's probably Lorente. on more money than him, though, won't he? Perisic mm. is 200k, probably. Yeah, he's going to be one yeah. of the higher earners, isn't he? Yeah, so anyway. But, um, I mean, by the by, but I just think... Um, so really, the, the, the segment... And we're quite happy to buy 40, 50, nearly 60 million pound players as well. And I think... So it only leaves really expensive players that we're not willing to buy, like in in that category. And um, I'm sure if the right person, as I said before, I'm sure if we had a big chunk of money, but that's all we could buy, and it was the right player, a bit similar to as we talked before about Van Dijk coming to Liverpool and that kind of thing. I'm sure we would do that if we thought it was the player we needed. But um, I just think that the problem I've got is is then if if, if Conte isn't happy with that, then I think it just I just think it reflects on him. I think I mean he could I mean. <laughs> He could, he could be. Is Eddie Howe putting him to shame? Does he want to work with Dan Burns? Does he want to work with Wilcox? Does he want to work with Chris Wood? Does he want to work with St. Maximin? One good game in five. I mean, you know, does, I mean, it's, and, he's got Alron playing as good as Kolovsetsky. Well, it's and, just, and, and that's the. I mean, the truth of the matter is that our fans would have been in uproar if we'd appointed Eddie Howe, yeah, you know, just over a year ago, wouldn't they? And you know, he's done a fantastic job. Yeah. But we're back. We're back. Yeah, Eddie Howe has done a fantastic job, by the way. Um, as as uh, Eric Ten Hag is doing a good one at Man United. We mm. were discussing that off pod. But look, I mean, to get back to my uh, second analogy there, which I actually thought, or metaphor, which I actually thought was pretty accurate. I, I'll I'll put my head on the block here because I don't think either of you are particularly willing to do so. I think the way the situation is set up. This is a Michelin star chef who came in, as I said, a souffle maker. That's what he does. That's what he needs. Those are the ingredients he wants. Every year he wants to improve on the best ingredients you can get to make a best souffle you can have. And I don't think he's prepared to work with omelettes. Now, where the breakdown in communication is and whose fault that is, I don't know. But I think it's cruel on a Michelin star chef to keep on telling him to make omelettes at this point. And I think it's cruel on the supporters of the club to have us expecting Michelin star food. So I think personally that we should probably not be backing him in the way that he wants ingredients in the fridge because inevitably it feels to me, this is very personal, that it is not going to work. By God, I want to be wrong. I want to know that he can make brilliant omelettes with with wonderful, fresh ingredients. Uh, But I I don't think it's going to happen. There's there's too much of there's a weird we talked about weather storms around the club. There's two different uh storms brewing, it seems, in two different areas, and it just doesn't seem that we're gonna be able to get out. So personally, I would be backing the club vision right now because it's the one that we're gonna end up doing anyway. So why do this dance? That's what it feels like to me. I mean, I think it does come back to that, you know, if we've got a project on our hands, if it is um something that's gonna take um, you know, another three, four windows. Is Conte going to be around at the end of that? Is he, you know, he's a here and now manager who, who, you know, needs good players in order to, for his system to work. And we, it's beginning to feel like a project. And is he, you know, is he the right fit for the job? I mean, I do think, I mean, the finance levels, as I've explained, I think we are giving managers and we have given. And the other thing I will say on Conte's side is he's, I mean, he's right when he's saying is that we are buying players, but we can't make mistakes. And of course, he went for a big period of making mistakes with all those. And they're mistakes we've got to pay for. 
we're not like you know we've not got oil money we can't do that at all and i think um he needs um but i think he gets back to a high level i think the thing that stresses him out is he thinks he needs more just because of the sheer competitive of the league if you want to overtake then the problem you've got, and, the, and the the conflict we've got is if you want to overtake liverpool and man city make up 20 points a year the reason enoch won't necessarily go that far it's because the other thing they've always said is I will not jeopardise the future of this club and that. And I think if you built something over 20 years, you know, I could possibly feel the same. I don't want that undermined because uh, the other, the other, I mean, to look at it another way, I tell you, you can phone, you can phone your Everton friends, you can phone your, you know, you can phone your Sheffield Wednesday friends, you can phone your Forest friends, you can phone all them teams and think, would you swap places with us? And they would say, yeah, no doubt. You know, with the setup you've got and stuff like that, you're a load nearer to doing anything we have. And the opposite, I mean, and the opposite to that is Man City, Newcastle, or Chelsea friends might ask me, would I swap places with them? And I'd say no, because I don't want that. So really, I'm left with a shitly run Man United that I might want to swap places with. The only team I'd probably consider swapping places with situation wise would be Liverpool. And that would be it. So I have to look at it in those terms. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, from, we, you know, you talk about kind of spending, you look at how much Chelsea has spent over the last couple of windows and, you know, the business that it looks like they're queuing up for January and they're behind us in the league. And, they, you know, they don't look in any better a position than we are. And, no, I mean, in terms of this season. And I think, you know, from Enix's point of view, that, you know, we were, what, second, second best team in the country in the run in last season or, you know, in the league in the run in last season. You know, they spent 100 million in the summer and, you know, other than, I mean, who do we say? Benton Kerr and Kane. Everyone else has gone backwards this season. It's, there isn't, you know, much sign of an improvement. And I think it comes back to the point you were making though, Steph, you know, can Conte play through this? You know, there, there's definitely an issue with, you know, with his, um, you know, souffles when you've got, you know, mm-hmm. Jaffa or Sanchez, uh, or Royal, you know, in the side and they can't play through a press. They can't pass out. That's definitely an issue. But I think there's also a case that actually, um, some of our, automations are looking a little predictable i think teams know how we're going to try and play through them and are are closing that down well you know if you look at the brentford game and say i'm doing my usual habit here of trying to mix up all the games and make it impossible for us to go through and talk about matches but in that brentford game brentford were very very quick to second balls you know they they were hoofing it forwards uh, and then and then pressing us and closing us down and we couldn't play through it we didn't know you know we didn't know how to do it um and you know it, it becomes it becomes an issue if if he's demanding the best ingredients, but he's not actually improving what he's got. You know, things don't appear to be getting better. It's an issue. What I will say that's consistent between what happened with Antonio Conte last season, getting us into the Champions League, and what happened with Maurizio Pochettino over a four, five, six, four season stretch, is both exceeded their expectations mm-hmm. early on. And I, unfortunately, am increasingly of the opinion that people then continue to expect rabbits to come from hats, Mm -hmm. regardless of what's going on around them. And I think that attitude needs to change at the club and you need to have a little more respect for who is doing what. I don't disagree. I do think that there is a problem uh, when you consistently only play one system and automations. But equally, we have to know who we've got into bed with. I think there's, I mean, they're, they're complicated issues and there's no straightforward answer to either of them, which is why this conversation 
we should probably bring it to, to a close because we're probably going to end up having it again next week and the week <laughs> after and the week after. But I mean, I think, you know, at the very least, what I was hoping we'd be able to do with this section, and I think we've managed to, to do uh, very well, is, is make it clear that th- this is not just about one person or one party. It, it, it's about how these things work together. And there is, uh, you know, there's fault and expectation and, 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 and praise to be had all around. But right now, it's a it's a multi pronged issue, and I, I you know I, I don't I don't know if anyone has an answer. Uh, I think we're all looking for one that's worrying. Uh, and but I think you know, we are. yeah, we, we are, are looking just, for an answer, and it I is just, worrying. And and everyone's frustrated. I'm frustrated. I was as, uh, as as angry today as I've been for a long time. But it's not going to change what the situation is. And we're just this is a storm. We're I, in the middle I, of one. I think what's difficult is that you know we talk about. You know what Arteta's doing at Arsenal. I do think that a lot of um, the unease at Spurs is because, or you know, amongst our fan base is because the lot down the road are doing yeah. well at the moment, and that kind of make, you know, compounds a difficult situation and makes it worse. But if you look at what happens at Arteta, you know, Arteta's been giving a lot of time at, at Arsenal. He's been allowed to bomb out big name players who he didn't want. He's pretty much been given a free reign to to reshape the squad. You know, you look at what Klopp did at Liverpool again. That took a, took a while for him to build what he had there, and, mm. and and and. You know, in terms of you know central central defence, it took a you know, it took a while to get in what he needed, and you know, are we being jittery and shooting ourselves in the foot when you know if you got if you stick to the plan, you know, there's a plan here. The manager's always said it's going to take a number of windows to get there. You know, there's highs and lows along the way. Do we need to see this through? Yeah, because I get this is the thing I was going to say that especially about the Klopp thing because I get the feeling he hasn't really got the patience that he's always banging on about. That's my mm. hunch, really. And I think, but in this league, you are going to need it. I think it's just not it's, it's got I, I, it's not going to happen in a season. And as you said, I think Klopp's proven that. And I just think I, 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 I think I think Klopp's been sensational. Mm. But it took him a while, didn't it, to get through the thing? And it just you know you, to get yeah to get Liverpool but, on the upgrade. Yeah. But and, and look, without again, I don't want to get too much into history, but my jitters, and I'll just talk very personally, my jitters right now are as much based on the fact that when we were ahead of these clubs and when we were ahead of this pack, when we did have the progressive manager who was hamstrung by being homeless for a season and a half, who literally didn't get, he got pennies to the pound, literally, and then when he was finally backed, we pulled the plug after three months in mean, one of the most disastrous pieces of, of like sort of PR patchwork versus long term planning. I think you could uh, you could you've seen in any business. It was, it was absurd. I think we've got a right to be a little concerned about this. And once again, as we've all been saying for half an hour, this man makes a dish, you know. So I, I look. Yeah, I mean, and the Arsenal situation was brought up. That's not a concern to me. It is what it is. But I understand that what you're saying is that for the fan base, it is a major concern okay. and it doesn't help. Lots of storms, as you said, and to be discussed in the in coming saying, weeks, I'm sure. I think on the discussion with the chat the other day when um, uh, I think it was Arma saying, you know, he's really concerned about kind of the reaction from Arsenal fans if they win the league. I'm more worried about the reaction from Spurs fans if they win the league. You know, <laughs> it's like... Well, you know, stupidly, and I'll throw this in and then we will move on to today's game. Uh, stupidly, I, I started to go get a little glum thinking, well, they they are playing well. They're playing great football. You can't argue. And they had, do have a shallow squad or bubbly, 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 bar. But of course, then ding, my little like optimistic light bulb went off and I was like, well, why don't we just go and win the Champions League? <laughs> <laughs> 
Which brings oh. us to uh, today's home game against Aston Villa. Thanks very much, lads, by the way, for uh, for, for talking through that uh, tricky uh, field of uh, packaderms, if you will. And I'm sure we'll be doing <laughs> we doing more of it in the weeks to come. But yeah, from uh, dreaming of dreaming of winning in Istanbul this summer to to the Villa at home. I mean, it's a natural segue, isn't it? Isn't it? No. Oh, okay. All right. All right. <laughs> No, it isn't. More eggs than omelettes, I think, Steph. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Very good. You've cracked the code. Um, So, yes, uh, scrambling as I was to try and make that segue, let's just be blunt. Team selection, chaps. Let's just start there. The team selection for today's game against Aston Villa at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which was 2-0. I mean, obviously, the big shot was Decky being out. And um, I think Dyer sitting this one out was quite heavily trailed i think it was you know pretty much expected by the time the team was announced so yeah uh hill in for for decky was the surprise um i was quite excited to see hill on the um on the team sheet i thought he'd done okay in the friendlies you near know, mid-season friendlies and i've been a little frustrated about his lack of opportunities in the first half of the season and i really hoped that um that he would stake a claim and show us that we didn't need to go out and spend a load of money in january in order to get a decky uh understudy because we had one in the squad already staring us in the face and he didn't do a lot um to to live up to that so um yeah Yep, I had no disputes with the lineup. Really nice to see. Um, well, not nice to see, but it's interesting to see Doherty still getting the shout on the right. And I think he probably—I don't know what that means for Emerson, but um, I think he's definitely trying to get Doherty back to some of that kind of uh, consistency in form that he was, you know, uh, congratulating with last year. So um, before the injury, ironically against Villa. But um, yeah, Loris is back. Good thing, mm, probably. Um, and Sonny keeps trying, Kane keeps trying, and then Basuma tries to keep improving, and PH Pierre just carries on doing what he's doing in the middle there. So um, I can't see what other changes he could have made, really, to be honest. But I agree with Milo. Good to see Hill there. I think he's, he's stylistically the best player to come in for Decky. Uh, you could probably argue maybe the only player really now that can come in for mm. Decky. So, um, um, but yeah. And I think we'll get to, you know, how we played in that in a moment. Yeah, I'm going to skip the selection because it's going to come up in, 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 in the, the, the next part of our conversation as to how I felt about the selection. I mean, okay. needless to say, when I looked at the subs bench, uh, I, I grimaced. Um, <laughs> I really did. I mean, I'm sorry if, if you wanted an example of, of why I think uh, we need to be a little more active uh, in this window. Um, that It was right there. So injuries, injuries notwithstanding. So I mean, look, how did we play? I mean, uh, it, it, these these are simple questions on on the face of it. When we write them, but they're really not that simple, are they? Or maybe it was today because I thought, and I'll start. I thought we were flat, uh, largely uninspired, um, and uh, even when it looked like we were building ahead of steam, it wasn't really enough to make a really brimmingly hot cup of tea, was it? It was still a little below boiling point. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought we shaded the first half, but it shaded rather than clearly better. I thought Villa were, you know, very well organised. They were defending with, you know, six men um, back there. There was very little space for us to to get through. And then, you know, without that creativity in the side, it was very, very difficult to to find a way through that. And and that showed, you know, and you kind of in the first half, you're thinking, well, probably our best chance of scoring is getting a set piece somewhere you know, around the box or, you know, a corner or something like that and something happening. But, you know, Vio's magic wasn't evident today at all. Um, we, we you know, wasted, the, you know, the chances we did get. 
and you know we're we're almost reliant on that against teams that sit back against us. I I went into the second half you know feeling reasonably optimistic because I thought we had ended the you know the, the first half a bit brighter and I thought you know if we got a goal then Villa would have to open up a bit and then maybe something happens and you know you're almost looking for something to happen to kickstart our season and get us going you know we'd we'd made excuses repeatedly during the first half of this season thinking well he's biding his time to the world cup you know we've got a fixture congestion it's difficult you can't work with the players well he's had six weeks to work with most of these players we've come out um you know after christmas and we don't look any better the same problems are there um it doesn't look like he's changed anything or you know worked out new ways around some of the issues we've got and yeah uh, you know we, we just feel like a team that's without decky there there's you know with kane you know if kane's not on form then there's no no one there who can create anything unless it's from a set piece and and you know then Sonny or uh, or um, uh, Perisic come into play. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'd add to that that I think obviously Sonny is off form. Let's face it, and I think and if and that doesn't help Kane because obviously they're partners in crime. They've had such a great relationship over these seasons. So if one of them's certainly playing as flat as Sonny is, then um, that's going to affect Kane as well. But um. And that and that's the problem, I think. That transition to the forwards is once Sonny's touch is terrible. He keeps things bounce off him. He had a couple today where there was one that bounced off him outside the area where he could have taken a shot. The four yard pass to Kane is just like the simplest ball mm. in the world, really, because he had time and space to play it. And Hill is obviously not physically doesn't seem physically strong enough but I did feel a bit sorry for him because I think we should just have laid it into him more his movement's really good mm. he, they should, we should have just laid it into him more when he's in that position between their left back and their left centre half because he'll get it sometimes out on the touchline but sometimes he's a bit then too far out I think in that smaller gap he might be a bit more deft with his touch and be able to create something but that wasn't really happening I think uh, as Gareth said in their chat it seemed like they were reluctant to pass to him for some some reasons and that kind of thing he played for me Brian Hill like uh, a player who was fighting for a chance and who knows that the manager doesn't really believe in him and is not actually probably going to react positively whatever happens uh, given who he's replacing and it really felt that that was sort of uh, the, the caliber of performance he gave bless him I couldn't I think, fault I, I, him but I think it's a fait accompli isn't it really I, I mean, think that's uh, happened in other cameos as well when he's played he's, he's yeah. doing exactly like you say Steph yeah and I also think that for some reason we are just completely bereft and unable to try and find an early ball when someone is running right now and uh, you know I counted four times that Doherty made a, a, a dart behind to try and get him behind mm. Just it was either ignored or not seen. Um, as for Harry, I feel very sorry for him. I mean, you have to give him the ball a little more than we're giving it to him. Uh, albeit he, you know, he was rusty today. My big concern with Sonny is that he looks like he has genuinely lost a yard of pace. Uh, he just doesn't look as fast, and I don't know if this is because he's off form or if because physics and, and are taking their toll. But he looks like a man who needs a proper recharge. And- um, and, you know, and as for Misuma, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't, I just don't see it. And I mean, with Sonny, his games always relied on pace. You know, he's not a, a link player. He's not someone who can play with his back to goal and bring others in. Absolutely. It's just not there. So, you know, if his pace is going, um, then I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's going to be able to adapt his game. And he, he did have a bit of a foot race with Ashley Young today, and didn't really make much impression on him when the ball was going back towards Villa's goal. And mm. Ashley Young's 38, so. Right. Yeah. It was it was a concern I, to me uh, that in general. Um, personally, I 
you know, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a fan of Eric Dyer's. Um, I, I freely admit that we need to upgrade on him at this point. You know, to to double down, it would be ludicrous uh, because he's obviously, uh, if we want to actually win trophies, we are we are going to have to upgrade. Um, but I don't think any defensive combination we have right now can afford to be without him if we're playing in a three, even though he's off form. And I I I I, I concede his mistakes. You know. Uh, have been very poor. I think the the one at Brentford was possibly overplayed in and and in, uh, in context, but we'll get into that later. And I felt that we I felt we missed him today on on both goals. I thought at least one of them you would have seen him diving in uh, to to prevent. I mean, look, it's all hearsay. Who knows? Um, I, yeah, I'm, I, I mean, I thought leaving Dyer out was a kindness, and um, because it is feeling a bit toxic around the club at the moment, and I think there's a risk that yeah. Uh, people might have turned on him because he is coming in for a lot of flack from from that's a, you know, certain that's a sections very of the fan point. base. I also think that if we're to get anything out of this season, we need Dyer on form, and I think maybe yeah, um, you know, him taking a, a couple of weeks off, and you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't play him against um, against Palace uh, in midweek. I wouldn't play him against Portsmouth, and I'd want to bring him back in for the North London derby. Um, and yeah, that's the way I'd be looking at it. And I think earlier in the season, if we think when Sonny was struggling at the beginning of the season and Conte tried to play him through that patch and, you know, what he ended up doing was dropping Decky and playing Richarlison on the right-hand side, which didn't work. And I think really what was staring us in the face then was to let Sonny sit out a few weeks, play Richarlison and then let Sonny come off the bench. Yeah. I see a similar situation here where you've got a player in a funk and, and you know maybe just needs to be taken out of the spotlight, get a bit of a breather, and then hopefully come yeah. back stronger. Well, look, because well, you know you got you got to a say fair appraisal. That, I think you know you got to say that after Conte came in, Dyer was you know from from that point to the end of the season, and actually right the way up until he got his England recall, has been one of our best players. Mm. Um, and you know Conte was talking about making him one of the best um, kind of central centre backs in in the world. And um, yeah, since I mean, he got recalled for England, his form has nosedived. Yeah. I was I was really hoping with Dyer that obviously being away with him because he obviously had problems as well before he went away to World Cup. With being away to with the World Cup and obviously he's probably had a bit of time since he's come back. I'm not sure what time the England boys how much time they had off. And I just thought a change would change would have been as good as a rest. And it, and it was so, I mean we're going to move on to the Brentford game. It's just sad that something like that happened in the Brentford game really because mm. yeah. it didn't yeah. sort of draw a line under it, did it? It was just a shame. Well, chaps, in this pachyderm-packed pod, uh, let's move to Hugo Lloris. Um, <laughs> I mean, what is there to say? It's it's another gaff. I mean, I it's, think, it's 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 a, it's a, it's a clangor. I I, th- I think you're having a similar conversation to we're having about Sonny. Is you know, is it terminal? Because the clangors are becoming a habit, and you know, he's not where he was. We all know that he's going to need to be replaced sometime in the next. Well, you know, he's not going to get another contract extension, is he? Um, and it's becoming a habit. Mm. I mean, I know he, I know he, he didn't really have much to do up to that point. I don't think. I mean, I don't think their XG would have been that high no. up to the point they scored because they weren't giving us any problems. But the the main concern with it was was obviously we talked about stuff at half time, and we really did come out in the second half there and looked like we were stepping it up, like we have done in other kind of second halves. And but just the. The moment that happened, I mean, when he spilled it, it was, you know, it was like Exxon Valdez problems, really, a spill of that quantity, you know what I mean? It really it really did put, you know, drown us in oil, basically, after that. And it, it, there was no way back. 
There was no way back. It was just, and it's that's hard for him. It's hard for him to accept. And I know he he take. I think he's another one that takes these things quite personally, and he beats himself up about it. But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I look. I, I suppose now we'll we'll move on to. I mean, you know, we could carry on deconstructing what was an immensely disappointing performance today. I I, I think we probably should put the handbrake on that a little bit. Um, all being said, uh, we should. Uh, you know, what do we think of Aston Villa? Um, I'll, I'll kick off by saying that I felt that they were, um, you know, a well-organised, average side of the cal- of a calibre that we should uh, that we should be beating at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my feeling, and uh, and they did nothing in the game to show me otherwise. And in the end, my biggest disappointment of all was that I was left thinking, if they didn't faff around as much as they did, they would have uh, easily got a third goal. There were two opportunities they had to score a third goal, and they kind of faffed it on themselves. And that's that's immensely disappointing to me because I don't think they're that good. They're thorough mid-table side for me yeah I thought they were really well organized and took their chances but you know the first chance we gave them on a plate and our confidence looked shot after going behind um so yeah I mean I mean (laughs) I mean in I mean in comparison with our own manager like who's I mean that's the other thing we need to say I mean I mean it seems like a long year but he has only been here a year and the same with Emery really he's on an early journey with Villa I think they've got some players to work with I think you know he's got Mm. you know he's got some people on the bench as well that aren't aren't that bad of players and Their, their bench looked better than ours today well yeah yeah I mean when he brought those other players on when Ings could come on and the bloke played for Southampton he was coming on Matty Ings. Cash came on yeah. so yeah I, that's what I mean so it's early days for him right? I, I quite like him as a manager I think he got a tough time of it at Arsenal but um, yes. he's a character isn't he and he's, he did well at, when he went back to um, Spain and that so yeah you quite knock yeah. it yeah well, I suppose, you know, uh, <laughs> closing thoughts, one positive and one negative in 30 seconds and today's defeat at home to Aston Villa, chaps. Three, two, one. Oh, go on, Ricky. Um, positive was, oh, I was nice to see Romero back on the field. I think he is really great. I think he actually had a good game today. I mean, beyond the kind of, you know, treading the line like he does with the yellow cards and various things like that. I think the negative was, I don't know, it continued, it just around the match it just continues to be sunny I think I just can't believe the drop off after the um, winning the golden boot really and I was hoping I was hoping when he demasked himself it was going to be like mm. in, Scoob- in Scooby-Doo at the end <laughs> do you want to take the mask off and the, yeah, and the yeah. real sunny is back that kind of thing yeah. I thought it was almost going to be like that moment where you thought this is really going to be a turning point I think he thought it was going to be yeah, the I think way he, did. he threw That's why that he did thing it. he was like fuck this I've had enough of this but, encumbrance but, but, because realistically he could be going against medical advice there you never know I, he might have just rip that off and just thought I'm not having this anymore it's it's hindering I, me or something I, I think like it was that. affecting his peripheral, vi- peripheral vision wasn't it yeah. because um, I'm not sure who it was someone came in and challenged him from the side and I don't think he saw it until late and I think oh, at okay. that point he thought I need you know I, I need to be able to yeah, see around yeah. me yeah. Um, but it didn't I, seem I, to I've, work whatever he did so <laughs> I've, I've got to be honest with you, I'm struggling with the positive for this one I can't really think of many um, I mean we didn't concede in the first half is probably about as good as I can do yeah um, but and the negative is just, I, I, you know, we've covered this kind of amply in the um, kind of Conte, Enic, Paratici transfer window discussion earlier on. Um, there's a, you know, kind of real um, kind of bad 
bad feeling around the club at the moment and you know the fans are getting restless and you know there's protests and things like that and um i'm not sure any of that stuff is is going to help us get out of the mess we're in at the moment but i can also understand the frustration so it's it's a real real it's difficult to see a way out of the hole we're in at the moment the positive for me was even though he was only on the pitch for about six minutes was Papa Matasar, uh, Papa who I believe Milo is telling me has gone to Papsar is is uh, how he's now uh, referred to. So Papsar, I thought he um, in his cameo looked uh, so assured and so comfortable, really fluid, um, and and to me uh, has really accelerated himself past. Uh, Ollie Skip and passed, in my opinion, my negative, which was Eve Basuma. I'd have him playing ahead of Eve Basuma from now on. Why not? I thought Basuma was terrible today, to be honest. I thought once again he was caught sleeping in terms of tracking a man for a goal that we conceded. And I just am not seeing enough from him. It's it's yeah. simply not good enough to me. And it and it's a shame. Look, maybe he's going to come good you know, after eight months or a year, and maybe we'll look back at this and he'll be like my first year, the horror year or whatever, who knows. But right now, to me, he's he's just not bringing it, you know. Um, and, and give. I mean, you'll get, you'll get to see someone else on Wednesday because he's suspended now. So someone yeah. will get their chance. It'll probably be Skip. I mean, the other problem with him being suspended is if we wanted to go back to a three in midfield because we haven't got people up because Kulovsky, let's say, is still out. If he just wants to run with Sonny and Kane, then even on Wednesday, we'd be then left with Saar, Pierre and Skip to do that. So it's a tricky yeah. time, really, from that point of view. It's a tricky time, and and look, I think you know the the other negative. Uh, I I echo you with, with with Sonny and 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 Kane. In, in a sense, today was a day where I I felt that I was. Look, you never write off Harry Kane because he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. And if he does leave at the end of the season and goes to Bayern or wherever he goes, he's going to continue to score a hatful of goals, whatever. So you don't write it off. But what was sad today was seeing that partnership struggle so much, whether for lack of service or lack of performance from Sonny or, or whatever. And I'm not saying whose fault it is or whether these are have become terrible players. There's nothing to do with that. It was just sad today to see two strikers who you would have considered the best two of the best forwards in the world over the last like six seasons. And you just can see that that they're, they're just off the pace with each other and in general out of step with what's going on around them on the pitch or the, you know, the team are out of step with them. And that's a little sad because I still feel that if you give Harry Kane three chances, he's going to score one of them. And I mean, that's not rocket science, is it? Statistics right. tell us that. So yeah, anyway, and earlier in the week, uh, we played Brentford. <laughs> um, I'm not sure it was, uh, look, we got 45 good minutes there, I think. Yeah. Maybe maybe 60 if we're being charitable. Um, you know, wh- wh- how did you feel about how we played overall that night, chaps? Um, I mean, considering it was the first game back after a break and we maybe have been trying other things with the players that remained, it was almost kind of normal surface resumed, basically, with the first half. And it was just... <sighs> And then in the second, it does see, I mean, I don't, people say we're turgid and that kind of thing, but I don't always buy into that. I just don't think we're doing that well because during the phases where we do do well in the game, we're certainly not turgid. We're quite dynamic mm. and we try and like attack. We do plenty of attacking. We create chances and we really go after a team, but it just seems as though we need to be cajoled into that. In other words, we need some kind of adversity to like respond to. And then we show some kind of resilience and it's, but it's a real, 
bizarre pattern we've got ourselves into. And it's almost a bit, I think it's quite, the levels we're doing it now, it's almost quite rare in football, I think, to think that something just chugs along, keep doing this same bloody thing every week. And um, I just don't know what the answers are, but you would hope some answers were forthcoming and or some change or something. And it might, oh, carry on, Milo. I'll just say, I mean, I think, um, you know, in terms of the game, I mean, you know, Jaffet starting was a surprise, although he played on the right of defence in the uh, friendlies we'd had prior to the season restarting. And it had been Sanchez who'd been playing centrally whilst, you know, the international players were out out of contention. I I was surprised to see Jaffet in the starting lineup. And I think, um, I think it's probably unlikely that we're going to see him there too many times again, if ever. Um, it, It was a real performance to forget. And, you know, you can give him um, some mitigation for not having played for it, you know, not having played in the first team for a while. But um, but it was he was really poor and uh, it really impacted us because, you know, Dyer was having to get closer to him in order to cover the space there. Um, you know, uh, Brentford were, you know, said earlier on, you know, they're, they're punting it long, um, waiting for, you know, and then pressing at 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 sent you know, defenders for second balls and they were, we were getting a lot of joy off off Jaffa and um the defense just looked really short of confidence and mm. um I think you know in terms of what happens when we go behind I think we do let the shackles off don't we and then we attack players and we play with a bit more freedom um and yeah plan a definitely isn't working it's really strange, isn't it? What was this? The ninth game? Uh, well, it's been nine games in total we've gone behind, if we ten. include today's game yeah. against Aston Villa, right? Is it nine? Ten. Did you say ten one? Include, ten. It was nine, nine after Brentford, ten today. I mean, you know, um, this. I mean, this. This is. This is another. It's another Pachyderm moment in this pod, isn't it? I mean, what? What? What the hell do we think uh, is going on? I mean, and and you know, you can talk about the players, and we can talk about Tanganga. Who uh, look, it was very sad because I love Jaffet, but he's he's not. It's it's not a standard. It's just not. I mean, it's um, it's a shame to say it, but you know what is going on? Why I mean, are we? I mean, Conte can't. Is, what is Conte doing to address well, that I, problem? I think it, this does come down to your um, your souffles, Steph. In that, you know, we're the, you know the plan is you know Conte's plan, and he, you know he doesn't really deviate from this. Is to try and draw teams onto the defence and then play through them. And they're playing. You know, the plan is to play through them with you know quick you know automation. So you know, play, pre-planned routines to to pass through a team and then attack into the space that's left behind. And to do that, you have to have players who are comfortable on the ball. And you know, Jaffa isn't you know, isn't a quick, incisive passer. He's not he's not comfortable receiving balls uh, under pressure and playing through that. On top of that, I think teams have sussed out those uh, some of those patterns and are closing those down. And you know, we saw that with Brentford closing down second balls and not allowing us to play through them. Uh, and yeah, you know, that lack of variety makes us um, makes us um, easy to. Um, to plan to play against i think i think frank said before the game that um that he'd, he'd guess what 10 of the 11 players and obviously they'd had all of their players at home during the world cup they had they had time to plan for this game um and it showed you know it was a good game plan i thought they had i mean that is a worry though isn't it because if you do literally play one way it's not going to be long before you kind of other teams come to the conclusion without much kind of thought or study how to like combat you and would, play against you it's just I think would, that's almost it almost sounds as though you'd get away with that in a league where no games were televised and stuff like that and but, you know no one had any information on you but, but after a while you're just 
people are yeah, going to combat be, that. They're be, not. They're not asleep. These people are they? You know what I mean. If you if you think back to Mourinho though, when we had, you know the plan was for the cane dropped deep and he swung the ball out to for Sun to run out onto, which yeah, yeah. worked really well for a few weeks, didn't it? Yeah. And then everyone doubled up on Kane and tracked him around the place and cut off supply, and then there was nothing there, was there? And this doesn't feel entirely dissimilar to that. If you stop us playing out from the back, and particularly if Decky's not playing, there ain't a lot there. No. Um, it just goes to prove, doesn't it, that it's, you know football is never quite as complicated as we assume it is. And some of the things that we think are obvious are obvious. <laughs> and, and it just doubles down on the question like what, what why knowing that i mean you know do we continue to persist do we continue to bang our head our first half heads into the wall but i think if you go back to that question we had at the beginning when we we're saying about you know players coming in or what our priority positions are you put a uh you know a right center back in there who can cover for romero you put a right wing back in there who can who can cross the ball and can carry the ball and get past you know beat a man and can play out you give us cover for decky or you've got a a ball playing you know central midfielder who can give us other ways of progressing the ball forwards and other patterns we can have for playing out of defense then we're a we're a different proposition and you know i don't don't think this sorry go on i was gonna say the other thing worth looking at i think i said this in the chat is we did we definitely went through a good phase last year where we were saying the opposite about this where defensively we looked absolutely solid and I'm not sure whether that's because we were regularly playing uh, Romero, Dyer, and Davis or Longley, and we just look, we just look, teams just got no joy from us, and then we played out from there. But, uh, but, and I think the other thing that might might be the issue there is I think this is the other thing uh, which Conte has an advantage with is when we're just, and that might be because we're on the one game a week as well. Yeah, that's the other massive thing I think that he always goes on. I mean, we kind of joked about it when he joined that he can't do two games a week. <laughs> But it's almost like some of that evidence last year has proved that that to be correct. And I think, I mean, the only problem with that is I think if you're going to be a top six team in England, you're going to be playing two games a week. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's quite hard to get out of that. I suppose so, that, yeah. I suppose the other unless you've got a bigger squad and then you can just keep, you know, your main players for the league games and things. So. But, but Conte doesn't really rotate. So I think even if you gave him a bigger squad, um, he'd still be hammering the first, you know, his first choice 11. Yeah, possibly. And, and I yeah. think this is where. We talk about, and, and, and Milo, you were talking about, you know, the, the protest groups not being helpful and so on and so forth. And as understandable as it is, and look, we can, we can debate the humanity or lack of behind all of these issues. But the facts are that when you only have a finite amount of players that a manager trusts, and those players are being flogged, not rotated, and maybe there is a loss of form and maybe there is a loss of confidence, that form and confidence becomes ever more fragile and ever harder to repair if it's consistently put in the spotlight in the way that recently this team and some mm-hmm. of these players have been. And, you know, we go back to the point that you made earlier, Milo, about Eric Dyer's non-inclusion against Aston Villa. I'm, you know, I was upset for my you know, thinking that we'd lost some leadership and so on. But, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe that is p- player protection. And, and you know, p- oh. but it's, it's a shame when we have to protect these players as as much as we do have to and it seems to be an issue right now because there are a lot of players whose confidence is shaky um and maybe that's maybe it's like a bug that you almost catch that they just they can't get out of this negative spiral of starting games so slowly because they're not confident and because you know and it's how you snap that but it is an issue and i think particularly if you know with the automations you need to be committed to them you need to be confident yeah. you need to be confident in the player who's receiving the ball you need to be confident in the pl- player is playing the ball to you and if they're not inch perfect 
they're not going to come off because that Which, gives yeah that gives the opponent time to get onto you. The whole idea of this way of playing is that because you're not thinking about it, you can move quicker than the opposition. It, 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 which, is, which plays into something we've been talking about all season, which is that our touch has been off. Our passes have been lax. I mean, our first okay. touch has not been great for, for, since the beginning of the season. And, so, and by what you're saying, which is absolutely right, there's not really margin for that. And you know, against Brentford, against Brentford, it didn't help that they'd been playing rugby on the pitch and it was churned up and in really right. poor condition. Right. And if you're trying to play the ball along the ground two feet for quick passing, that really doesn't help. Whereas if you're hoofing the ball in the air and then coming, you know, closing down for second balls, obviously it's a lot better for that. And as to the confidence issue, which I, I think we're all agreeing on, I mean, you know, that we, we Longley uh, gets pushed up a little more in the second half, starts playing a couple of those balls. One of those balls goes in out of nowhere. Harry Kane scores uh, a, an, an excellent header. And suddenly, yeah. suddenly our tails are up. Yeah, I mean, thankfully, because of the rugby union there, we can see that he's just inside the 22-metre line. So we know exactly where he is when he plays it. <laughs> and, <laughs> I think um, fair... I mean, fair play to Longley and Perisic on that side. They were really a threat from, like, they were putting yeah. great delivery. I mean, I thought actually Perisic today was a bit off with his delivery or maybe he didn't have as many chances to deliver, but they Got really tired, turned it up. He? They really turned it up in that second half against Brentford, which unfortunately then meant we were a bit more left-sided when I'm always kind of feeling we just need to get Decky involved in the game as much as possible, you see, because mm. I just think he creates so well. But maybe we just need to do both sides. You know, we need to just yeah. keep, you know... Well, I mean, once Sanchez came on, Decky came into the game even more. I mean, I, th- I thought Decky and Doherty were linking up quite well in the second goal where you've got that lovely interplay mm. where um, it's Decky to Doherty, Decky to Hoybier, um, yeah, so the shot in, and it's kind of that trademark De- Decky run along the goal yeah. line and then cut back into the box. Yeah. And Hoybier's run for that was so clever because everyone, everyone else was going towards the ball and he just stopped and held back and created the space for him. He, he read that so well. A cool finish as well. Yeah, it was a lovely man, finish, wasn't you know, it? Yeah. At 1-1, one, one, we saw, um, I think, a fairly pivotal point in the game. Uh, we saw a VAR decision for a penalty not given on Harry Kane, who, uh, given that we've talked about rugby on the pitch, I think that we saw uh, a move on Kane that was fitting of the rugby that has been played on that pitch. Um, I, I, I mean, is that one of the worst um, uses of VAR that we've seen this season? I don't think you can play VAR. I think you've got to blame the on-field uh, on-field ref. I mean, they're the one who got the one. He's the person who got it wrong. But I mean, I mean, I, I was wondering whether the ref was confused about the rugby, saw the markings, and thought, "Yeah, that's fair." And um, yeah, I mean, it, it was completely wrong. Um, it was Ben Me, wasn't it? It was all over him um, and pulled him down. I, I mean, the thing with VAR is the, the guidance basically is if the ref sees it. Then it they, they well they they side with the on field decision because there's yeah, clashes. It has to be a, yeah, a certain yeah. level but, for them to even look at it. But, but I think and, they did that's, say, that's where I'm confused. Yeah. And maybe you can help me out. I thought that there was, and again, I always get this wrong. So I put my hand in the air. I might have this wrong, and I'm up to be corrected. But um, if VAR think that you've made a mistake, are they not compelled to say you should just go and take a quick look at the monitor just to be sure you've got the decision right? And, I mean, this is where it would be really helpful to hear the conversation between the ref and the VAR ref. Because if the on-field ref, with with clashes in the box, basically, VAR isn't going to overturn it. If the ref saw it, 
um, they're, they're unlikely to overturn it. They're going to stick with the on-field decision. So if the ref says, yeah, I saw it, I think that, you know, I saw that Ben Mee had his hands around Kane, but I was satisfied that yeah. it wasn't enough to bring him down. VAR is unlikely to bring uh, to overturn that or tell him to go and have a look at it. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is where you need um, need to be able to hear what they're saying. But I also think there's a case for saying actually that this is the wrong way around at the moment because the bar for a VAR intervention here is probably too high. Um, and maybe what you need instead is the ref asking the VAR ref what they see. So, you yeah. know, if, 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 the, if you had the on-field ref saying, I saw him come down, I saw that there was contact, but I'm unable to tell whether it was sufficient to bring him down or not. Could you yeah. tell me what you yeah. can see? Yeah. Then that's a different... That's a different like bar that. to clear. No, Honestly, no, that's, that's great. Ta- taxi for Milo to Bletchley Park. Get down there now, Milo. <laughs> no, on. that's great. Honestly, no, that I, just I, makes complete sense. Honestly, that really sense. does make complete and, sense. And particularly yeah. if you can hear that then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because at the moment, I think on-field refs aren't making decisions because they think VAR will overturn it. And VAR won't overturn it because the yeah. on-field ref has made a decision. Yeah. No, and then I, you I get into a no-man's land. Yeah. You've nailed it. So. You've absolutely nailed I did, it. I did hear yeah. in commentary, though, I think they were saying that the threshold for that type of offence this season has gone higher. In other words, you know, the, the amount of contact needs to be quite sufficient to whatever. I mean, in that case, I thought it was. I mean, because um, Ben Mee won... He's not then looking at Kane, at the ball, no. but he's got his arm around Kane. And the other thing that should be taken into account is the flight path of that ball was certainly heading straight towards where Kane wanted to be. Yeah. And I can understand sometimes when it looks like it's just sailing over and you think, well, he was never going to get to that anyway. But in that case, Kane had spun him and that's mm-hmm. where the ball was going. And I just think that that should count as well, I think. But oh. yeah, I agree with you, yeah. Milo. Your idea is fantastic. Yeah, I think it's a great idea, <laughs> and and yeah, I I and I'm I'm in, I'm with you there, Ricky. And I think you know it was a key point because of course Brentford then go up the other end, they go two one up, and then we're left once again having to come back. And and in the end, you know, I think we all thought that Sonny had won it in in the ninety ninety fifth mm. minute or whatever it was. Um, that I thought that shot was sneaking in the corner, not quite enough juice on it, if you will. Um, but you know, we go two one up. Uh, given that we will back Harry Kane to score a penalty regardless of what happened in uh, in Qatar. Uh, you know, it's a very different game. We, we might go on to win that game 3 or 4-1 because the confidence might be surging a little earlier. So it was a key moment for sure. Um, chaps, what did you think of Brentford? Uh, pfft, impeccable organisation. I like Thomas Frank. I quite like him in the interviews. He's just really refreshing. And he says it as he sees it. And he's quite, you know, he's quite fan-like as well sometimes with his... Um, uh, with his compliments of his own team and you know our team, but I think yeah they're they're, they're massively organised. He's doing really well with what he's got there, and I think their fans are lapping it up as well. I think they're in a good spot. Yeah, I mean I wouldn't want to be watching that. Um, it wasn't particularly pretty, was it? But um, it was effective. They were well organised. Um, you know when you talk about um, kind of the relationship between a director of football and um, the, you know, the scouting team and the yeah. analytics team. You know, Brentford are a very, very progressive team. They're leading a lot of this stuff in this country. Mm. They've been very, very smart in their transfers. And and what, what you've got there is a team of players who are very well suited to the manager uh, and what the manager wants. Um, you know, obviously on a completely different budget to we're working on, but um, it should be a textbook of how, you know, how to work with a manager. And I think if you look at the league now, there's a load of these clubs, you know, Brighton are very similar and their scouting is just, you know, phenomenal and they bring in players that no one else thinks of and they, they slot in really well. And you've got yeah. a load of these teams now in the middle of the league who are just, you know, brilliant at recruitment, yeah. 
signing players that you know, really suit the manager, you know, are, are, you know, are difficult to beat um, and just, just well organized. It's, it's, a, it's different to how it was, you know, 15, 20 years ago where Definitely. kind of mid table and lower, lower end of the league was just full of cloggers. Um, yeah. I think it's slightly annoying that um, Tony probably won't be playing against most of our opponents for the rest yeah. of the season. So, well, I mean, it, we all knew that when those charges came rolling in, but in their hundreds, I may say, um, and 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 set the proven to be. I mean, he's 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 guilty of them, right? So, I mean, well, it's we just don't know this... yet. There, there hasn't been a hearing yet, but oh, I think it's... okay. Sorry, I, I, think, I, I, I thought. Yeah, been... so the, no, the charges he hasn't been the hearing hasn't been heard yet. I mean, I'd assume okay, that he's, if he's found guilty, he's going to be sitting out for six months or so. I would have thought, right. but I think it's a bit disappointing in the, when we've had a six-week break in the middle of the season yeah. that they couldn't have at least yeah. uh, brought brought forward a hearing and maybe had a hearing on some of the the charges where they had the evidence and then maybe hear the other ones later on or something like that. Yeah, um, and I mean because so because you're right, it's going to give a competitive advantage to some some teams. Well, it was so nailed well. on he was going to score. I mean, it was so nailed on he was going to score. I mean, you'd have put money on it yourself, wouldn't mm. you? Maybe Ivan. No. Um, anyway, <laughs> we'll leave that one alone. I agree. You know, Thomas Frank, um, you know, a really pretty impeccable uh, character and manager, isn't he? He's a, he is the proverbial breath of fresh air. I think we can all agree. And he's fun to listen to, fun to look at. And as you said, Milo, Brentford are a really progressive club. So uh, I don't think uh, I don't think we have a bad word to say about them, really, do we? Apart from their pitch and uh, hoofing the ball and oh, charging at us, yeah. but, you know. Uh, well, you know. So, yeah, we did actually have several bad words to say about them. You're right. All right, chaps. I suppose we should wrap it up in this uh, relatively live pod with uh, no edits. Um, thanks very much. I think we, uh, I think we uh, did well. Uh, Cheers. Uh, usually Cheers, the line Steph. that we say here is thanks that was fun it was fun with you chaps <laughs> we're, we're, yes, we're back yeah, to, we're course. back to the therapy sessions again aren't we <laughs> it yeah, is it's are. like the doctors are in we're all counseling each other <laughs> good lord above. congratulations yeah. to all our listeners who um, who made it this far uh, might have been a bit of a slog for them in the middle but you know happy new year <laughs> yeah, well, happy happy new bloody year and we won't charge you a hundred quid for your therapy session this week how about that i think that the, our listeners should be thanking us as I always do, because that's the... Anyway, uh, we will be back next week to talk about our games against Crystal Palace midweek and Portsmouth in the FA Cup. Um, seriously, uh, as well, thanks for joining us um, here for the first pod of 2023. Uh, we'll see you next week. And I do want to just slide this in. Um, I think I speak for everyone on this pod. Uh, you know, it's a final thought. We referenced two songs, three songs, maybe even four songs by the Seminole Scar Band, The Specials, earlier in this pod, because, as said, Terry Hall did sadly leave us over the holidays. It has been a big one um, and just something that I was thinking, you know, we should, however miserable it might seem in life. This is going to sound like uh, the, the life of Brian, isn't it? <laughs> however you're feeling in life, and of course, look on the bright side of life. But let's take a reminder, shall we, from the brilliant um, cover that Terry and the Specials did uh, to enjoy yourself whenever possible, even at Tottenham. It did make me think, actually, when, we, when you, I saw you'd written this in, that um, it ain't what you do, it's the way you, that you do it. It's pretty much um, <laughs> that the game is about glory, it, you know, not boring the other lot um, yeah. in, in song form. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, we, can, and we yes. can do Terry Hall stuff all the way through. We could indeed. And uh, again, uh, uh, really, uh, what a loss. But uh, anyway. Let's not end on a negative. Let's end on a positive. The game is about glory is back, as you've just heard. Thank you very much. And we will see you next week.